the brothers all sat down and I sat down at the end of those brothers and then Pink gets up and goes to the bathroom and while he's gone the guy sits down not next to me but one over from me so there's an empty seat. So Pink comes back and he looks at this guy and he says, I believe I was sitting there. He said, well sit there. There's an empty seat. Yeah. Pink just stood there for about a minute and he said, I believe I was sitting there. And the guy says, sit there. Just So he sits down. And this fellow that took his seat reaches in his pocket and he got a silver dollar and he handled, held it in his hand and he says, I'll show you a trick. Pink goes, trick hell, I got the dollar. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. David get a little saucy, so be forewarned, your sensitivity is not their problem. The Literate Ape Cast is for people who can handle both their liquor and their gag reflex. <sighs> Woo! Here we are, we're settled in. Welcome back to Wichita, Kansas. My name's Dana German, I'm here with Mr. Lawrence Volbrecht, everybody. He's lighting his cigar. As we speak. Very nice. Puff, puff, pass. All right, he knows I'm ready to get my hands dirty. No. We're going to see what's in this here garage. Oh. We've got a couple of these seats on wheels. Mm-hmm. This is good stuff. Hey, Merry Christmas, Lawrence. It's great, isn't it? It's Christmas Day, 2021. Christmas Day. Yeah. We made it. Yeah. How damn old are you? 78. <laughs> oh, yeah. He is. All right, me, huh? All 78 what? years of you are in your garage. I'm lucky. Here in Wichita, and uh, yeah, we're gonna go through some tools. You got quite the collection. Ooh, let's see, we got a level. One of about six. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a big industrial level. It's got three levels inside of it. Yeah, and then there's. Two more hanging on the wall over there. Oh my gosh! And should they all live together? Three more, yeah, three more small ones in the tool cabinet. Oh wow, that's good stuff. Pretty good, huh? Some of those have, uh, let's see, PT Austin Hayes, Michigan, Stay Right. We've got some classics here. The Stanley Workmaster. This looks like some uh, sixties oh, construction. That's about forty years old. Sure. And the other one behind it's about sixty years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been lately. I've been looking at things like old antique stuff and also older people. I find myself like well, somehow covetous of. Time. There's a piece of iron up there. Which one? Square one. Piece of iron. This guy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what? You know what that is? I'm gonna find out. You know what it is? (laughs) It feels like a 
about 50 pounds in the space of a block of cheese. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Well, <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, that weighs about 8 pounds, I think. No. Yeah. That weighs more than 8 pounds. Get out of here. No. That's pretty cool. When I was a kid, and which was during World War II, most people didn't have refrigeration. So they bought the ice off the ice wagon. Mm -hmm. The ice wagon was drawn by a horse. And that came in That my grandpa day. drove. How often did it come around? Once a week. Okay. And you got like a 25 pound block of ice. And when he got off the wagon, he clipped that to the bridle and put the weight on the ground. That way the horse wouldn't run off. Oh my gosh, it's a horse anchor? Yeah. That's what it is. Wow. That way he wouldn't run off while he was unloading the ice. I want to actually weigh this and figure out later on what it weighs, because that is more than eight pounds. That's heavy. That is heavy. Well, so that's actually why I got it. Well, you've got it because it's an antique. Because it's just an antique and it has absolutely no use whatsoever. <laughs> but you have the memory. The well, yeah. yeah. That was 70-some years ago. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, you want to keep it. For I mean, what? Well, why not? Well, Nobody that's why I haven't thrown her away, I guess. <laughs> that's so funny. Sometimes, like... I think, uh, ooh, here are all of our, uh, That's just extra bobbers. Yeah, bobbers and fishing line. Yeah. All of our, uh, A lot of that stuff in there. Hooks and stuff. I'm kind of nervous to go through this with my bare hands. Wow. Might get jabbed. Like, what, by this giant guy on the end. Good lord. <laughs> Looks those, like you might catch All those lords are made. You made all these. I made oh my all god, how fun. Yeah. These hooks are massive, Gramps. You got like the little silver spinners on yeah. here. Yeah, I made all those. Multicolored arrays. Back when I used to tournament fish. <laughs> oh my gosh. What what was that like? How what was a tournament usually like? Huh? What what was tournament fishing like? What tournament fishing was real fun to start with when it first started. Because when it first started, you had just average people with average boats, with average equipment. Okay. And there was no money involved. Just like in a lot of things, you got trophies and shit like that. Um, but as it evolved, it got more competitive. And as it got yeah. more competitive, people bought bigger, faster boats. Sure. Yeah, and then they would do what they called the shotgun start. And everybody would take off at once, and uh, the guys of the faster boats would get to the best spots first. And some of those boats would go 60 miles an hour. My boat only went 30 miles an hour. Well, isn't there an idea that if you're blasting the water to get to a place that you might scare the fish? That's what I always thought, but 
with the new equipment, they'd shut it off, coast in, and then use the trolling motor, electric motor on the front. Mm. Okay. But I never caught any fish at 60 miles an hour. You know, so. Yeah, these guys probably had it down to a little bit of a science. Yeah, they got to be more of a competitive thing than I wanted it to be. How many years in a row did you do it? Uh, four, I think. Okay. Yeah, four years. Any luck in those years at all? Finished third one year. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Out of a fair amount of people? Yeah, I'm about 50 people every time. Very cool. And then a random spoon. Yeah, I got out. another box up here full of small silver smithing tools and this and the other. Oh. Oh, cool. <laughs> Maybe this should go with those then. But I didn't, I didn't pursue the hobby after two courses. Um, how long were the courses? Six weeks. And did you just not have, you just didn't have the impetus or you had to buy more tools and you didn't invest in? in it was, uh, the course wasn't done right. That's um, the best thing I can tell you. Okay. Uh, because it was put together by the city of Wichita and the park board mm -hmm. and learned silversmithing. Well, I thought, you know, I needed a hobby that was indoors in the winter, so let's go learn that. So I signed up and they gave you a small list of probably suggesting, suggested tools you should have. Mm -hmm. So I went and got those, which was no big deal. Uh, and so I show up to class, and there's six women, one old dude that was just obnoxious as hell. <laughs> there's always one. Well, and then there were six women, <laughs> one old dude that was just obnoxious as hell, and one big Pawnee Indian that sit next to me. Oh, cool. And he had a silver watch band that had lost the setting for a big piece of turquoise. Okay. And that's what he wanted to learn how to fix. Plus he was unemployed at the time. So something to do? He needed something to do. The obnoxious guy was trying to make two turquoise handles for a Derringer, and he did, but it looked like shit when he got done. It looked worse than <laughs> it looked worse than a pimp gun. And then they had these six women, and these six women were all making earrings and necklaces naturally and bracelets out of semi-precious rocks. Making a pretty. And after about an hour of being in there, I realized that I was the only one novice in the room. Oh. Two, I wasn't interested in making bracelets and necklaces and brooches. No pretties for you. And then I realized that the teacher was an old hippie, and she was only there to monitor the class so she could work on silver jewelry, jewelry she wanted to make. Oh, so she wasn't even really interested in teaching you guys anything. No. And okay. <laughs> I, I sit there for... Isn't that a bitch? 
three hours, and she says, well, what are you making? And I said, I don't know. What am I supposed to make? Oh, no. And she said, well, anything you want to make. And I said, I don't know what I want to make. And I don't know how to make it. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to make it. So she said, well, here's some magazines with some silver jewelry pictures in them. Look through those magazines and see something you want to make and then make it. And I thought, well, shit. So I looked through for the next two hours a whole stack of magazines, didn't find anything I wanted to make. And uh, I was pretty disappointed. I and so I show up the next time and I said, excuse me. And I said, you know, when I took metal work in junior high and woodworking in high school, and all mechanics in high school. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, we're all going to make the same thing. And this is how you draw a pattern. And this is how you yeah, lay out your so. pattern. This is how you cut your wood. This is how you glue it up. This is how you cut it out. Right. This is how you finish it. Ba-dee-ba-da-ba-doo. And I kind of thought Not maybe true. it would go that way. And she said, oh, well, we're not here to teach you the fundamentals. Oh, and I said, game hmm. over. So, yeah, so back to the stack of magazines. And I was watching these women making these big gaudy bracelets out of rocks. <laughs> and uh, beads and stuff or no? Just like, I, you know, I, gems. I'm not learning nothing, you know. And yeah. so... I finally found this picture of a, I think it was a turtle. Okay. And so I got some silver and I cut out this turtle and I put the texture on the back and beat it into shape, which didn't take long. Sure. Made a clip for it, gave it to Nana. Well, I don't know what she ever did with it. Oh. And then, probably still has it. A guy that worked for me, which was kind of interesting. Uh, he said, "I got something for you." And I said, "What's that?" And it's a big piece of probably third grade emerald, but it was the size of a of a hen's egg. What? That's a Big emerald. Well, it wasn't. It was never cut or cleaned. It was. It was in in the raw. Yeah. Which, if you've never seen one in the raw, it's got a lot of debris. Sure. To it, and so what they do when they finish gem type rocks, they cut the debris out and get it down to where it's a clear stone. You know. Yeah. Well, this one looked like to me. I'm not real sure. But it looked like to me, but it had a lot of green in it, you know? It had a lot of emerald in it, more emerald chunks, bigger than flakes, but more emerald chunks. Okay. So they, and, and they had this stone cutter there, which would take your finger off if you wasn't careful. But anyway, Ooh. so I worked on that for a couple of sessions till I got done to a piece about the size of a robin's egg, maybe a little bigger, okay. and polished it on a couple of sides to where it looked like something, you know. So that was almost more fun, it sounds like, than the metalsmithing. Well, was that, the was, that was something I was interested in too, except 
I didn't want to build a forge and get an anvil and all that. Oh, good I already had 9,000 pounds of tools. I didn't, you know. Sure. So anyway, I got that all cut to a kind of a teardrop shape and made a cap for it to where he could put it on a necklace and gave it to um, Jackie's mother. But it was kind of pretty, I thought. Not because I made it, but because it was a piece of rock that, you know, whatever. And uh, then I made uh, the Elvis lightning strike flash. You know. Oh, the uh, Take Care of Business logo. Yeah, I made that out of a okay. heavy piece of silver for uh, Vicky. Okay, that's cool. And then I started on I a bracelet that. for Jackie. But I got it about half done, and I got to looking at it. Hell, it was too heavy for me to wear, much less her, you know. Oh, yeah. That adds up, the weight of it. Yeah, and so I decided, you know, this, I'm not learning anything in here. Um, you made a couple nice gifts and decided it was well, time to move yeah, on. It wasn't the hobby you anticipated. Just for dinking around, yeah. Mm -hmm. Turned out all right, but... Uh, the hippie lady that was teaching it wasn't a teacher. She was just there to make sure you didn't set yourself on fire if you was doing something. Sure, know. didn't steal anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, That's funny. Oh, no. So anyway, it was... How long ago was that? Huh? How long ago did you do the... Well, network? before we moved to Marion, so it been like in maybe 2008, maybe. Oh, wow. But I wanted to make some uh, silver handles for pocket knives, uh, old pocket knives that I had that the handle was no good on. I wanted to make some of that, and I wanted to—I uh, wanted to learn how to make a ring, but okay. that was uh, too advanced for what they were teaching. That was—you wanted to make like a big ring for yourself, yeah. or just to make rings? No, okay. I wanted to make a big ring for myself. Oh, nice. Big clunky, yeah. all silver ring. Hey, so that brings me back to one of the only pieces of jewelry that I ever really see you wear, uh -huh. which is your um, belt buckle. Yeah. Your big silver belt buckle. Yeah. That you also won. Yeah, I did. Tell us the story there. That was... Um, that involved a little bit of rodeo ship, did it not? That was bull riding. It was bull riding. <laughs> Third place. Finney County Fair. Another bronze. 1964. Eight seconds. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> well, what, what on earth made you do that? You, you trained up until that point to be able to participate, right? No. Or did you just pay not at all. Not unless you count opening beer bottles. Oh my! Did you just work at a beer joint? They tapped you? No, we had <laughs> we had these people that my wife hung out with. That they were from West Texas, mm -hmm. West West Texas, out where God, they're raw bone people. Well, there's and, nothing out there. Huh? There's almost not nothing out there. That's it. The only thing that was out there was him and his three brothers and his dad. God, were they tough people, but somehow he made his way to where we lived in western Kansas, and he was a truck driver, mm -hmm. and he was 
<laughs> kind of guy that would fight at the drop of the hat, didn't matter who you was or what you was. Uh, big man, bigger than Sean. I mean, he was 6'6 and probably 300 pounds. And yeah. so, you know, um, she worked with her at the bank and uh, she was 6'2 and thin, nice looking woman, but just rough as a cow. Just, there was no refinement in that lady anywhere. Okay. So they were a perfect match, but so out in western Kansas there isn't much to do. And if there is something to do, everybody does it, so to speak. Okay. Well, anyway, the county rodeo was going on, and we'd been hanging around the bull riding chutes because that's where all the heavy action is. Mm -hmm. And we've been drinking a little. <laughs> Naturally. And, yeah, and this guy's name was Benny. Benny says, I'm going to ride a bull. He's <laughs> He says, he, just decides. he says, give me a hundred dollars. And I said, Benny, the entry fee is only 25 bucks. We need 34. And he says, I'll be back. <laughs> you know, he comes back and he's got two numbers and a six pack of beer. I said, what are you going to do with that other number? He says, you're going to ride too. much less bulls. <laughs> and he says, ah, ain't nothing to it. I said, you've done this before. Yeah, he says, ain't nothing to it. He says, they show you how to roll the rope around your hand. You get up there in that chute. When you drop down, wrap that rope, and you holler, let her go, and they open the gate. <laughs> it's just that easy. In the meantime, crack, here's a beer. <laughs> Let's get And he says, all you got to do is stay on eight seconds. Oh, oh my God! Eight seconds don't seem like very long. Longest of your life. So there was only five entrants, I guess, in the bull riding. And they're all amateurs. And I won third place. And How I stayed on eight that? seconds, huh? So uh, the guy that also bought a number for you, the road with you, did yeah. he place as well? No. <laughs> it pissed him off pretty bad. <laughs> I don't think he ever got out of it. He went, he went well, that's, that's another story, but he was a, God, he was an interesting guy. I liked the hell out of him, but I could see that he was dangerous. Mm -hmm. I mean, just dangerous type of guy to be around. And if you wasn't his size, it was even more dangerous. So he's always spoiling, always looking for a fight kind of guy? Yeah, we went, I don't know if he was looking for it, but it was always there. Sure. We went down to, we went down to West Texas once to pick up a car for his wife that his dad had that he didn't need anymore. Mm -hmm. And so he says, you know, I got to take a load of irrigation pipe down to West Texas and then bring the truck back. He said, you can drive the car back. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, where is this at? He said, some town. You look on the map, you can't find it. Uh-oh. He said, so you just follow me down the, where I kick off the irrigation pipe. And then he said, we'll drive out to the Middle of nowhere. Yeah, and we'll pick up that car. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of riding along in the truck. We kick off that pipe. We get out there, and he's got these three brothers, and two of them are his size. They're all 6'6", six, six, all 250 mm -hmm. pounds. The third one 
is about 6'8", but he's only about 200 pounds. And they called him Pink. <laughs> well, the it was, well, it was, and oh God, they were rough, rough cut cowboys. I mean, just rougher and shit. And, Hands like hams. I mean, just. I was just picturing that all cut up. And oh yeah, up all cut up, calloused up. Sure. Faces that looked like they've been soaked in water and left in the desert for a year. You know, just you know. Except Pink. Pink was kind of fair-skinned kid. He wore a big ass cowboy hat. Maybe that's the reason he wasn't as calloused and weathered as the rest of them. Well, let's go get some beer. Well. The two counties that they lived in, which they did live in two counties because of the size of the ranch, but you needed that big a ranch for cattle because the grass was so sparse. So they had like, in those days, probably four or 5,000 acres, but hell, it took 500 acres for a cow and a calf. Mm. You know, so it was spread out just- Oh, wow. Really spread out. So we had to drive up to a border town in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. closest beer joint, which was about 90 miles away. Mm-hmm. So we drive up to this beer joint, and it's just a typical roadhouse beer joint with maybe only one or two tables, but a bar that was almost a city block long. Because in the surrounding areas, it was all dry. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, that's why it's And half the people in there were Oklahoma Okies, and the other half were West Texas people. Yeah. And you could tell because the Okies had a tendency to sit in the booths of the chairs. Sure. And the cowboys were all at the bar. Bar. And so (laughs) we walk in there and there's six seats at the bar. Mm -hmm. So the brothers all sit down and I sit down at the end of those brothers and then Pink gets up and goes to the bathroom and while he's gone the guy sits down not next to me but one over for me so there's an empty seat. So Pink comes back and he looks at this guy and he says, I believe I was sitting there. He says, well sit there. There's an empty seat. Yeah. Pink just stood there for about a minute and he says, I believe I was sitting there. And the guy says, Sit there, just so he sits down. And this fellow that took his seat reaches in his pocket and he got a silver dollar and he handled, held it in his hand. And he says, I'll show you a trick. Fink goes, Trick hell, I got the dollar. Oh no, the guy says, Give it back. <laughs> Benny looks down the bar and says, Pink, give it back. Pink says, my dollar. Finders keepers. <laughs> no, Pink. And the biggest brother says, now, Pink, my dollar, by God. Oh, man. And in the flash of an eye, nobody said anything. The whole place erupted into a fist fight. <laughs> I mean, I'm waiting for the starting gun. No, I mean, it was just boom. All of a sudden, he was on that guy and three or four Okies jumped in and the bartender was slamming the bar with a baseball bat. (laughs) I moved down towards the shitter. (laughs) 
Oh, these guys had hands. They had hands like a five-gallon pail. I mean, they just just knocking the crap out of each other. And finally, my friend Benny, he says, "Open the back door." So I went past the crapper, opened the back door, and he says, "I think it's time to leave, fellas." They all went out the back, laughing and bleeding. Boy, they sure had a good time. Oh my! But. That's just the kind of people they was. I mean, that was that was Saturday night for them. Mm-hmm. That was no thing. Right. Let's go cross some truck. And Pink kept sword off. <laughs> of course he did. He's the instigator. I guess the whole thing started good. That's funny. And they laugh. Driving back, they laughed about that all the way home. They're probably still telling oh, that story. Man. That's Saturday night. Well. That's Saturday night. Saturday night someplace in Oklahoma along the border. That's right. Well, this is a nice little garage. It's not a bad place to be on a day like today. when. It's well, most of my friends are all here, see. Cold. Yeah. That's where tools are. Tools are your friends. They don't ask anything of you? So They're there when you need them? Introduce me to some of your closest friends. I think I've just sort of like loosely been picking through a couple things here. What's... What do you think that is... Where's the oldest thing that you got stashed? That piece of iron. Where's it buried? <laughs> piece of iron. Yeah. Oh, this sucker on the floor. <laughs> That's, That's the oldest thing. Yeah. Well, I don't know. But there, yeah. Yeah. That's all automotive type tools over there, mm-hmm. mostly. And the craftsmen. And then that's all miscellaneous tools over here. And yeah, these, a lot of, these two. A lot of power tools. Right. Yeah, a lot of power tools. That's what makes your life easier and, and uh, yeah. And a lot of hardware. Yeah. Notice. Oh, Can't have too many. I found something cool. You did? Well, I wonder if I know what it found is. All the, oh. I found some lubricant. Some lubricant we've got. Rubbing alcohol. No, it's full. WD 40. That's good for everything. Silicone. And then this uh this little cowboy feller here. Yeah. Just like little oh, A Weather a Weatherby Junior? A Weatherby Junior eighty six copyright. Yeah, my dad bought that somewhere. From the Red Mill. Handcrafted USA. Well he just liked this little guy? Gosh, he only stands at about maybe yeah. maybe a foot tall. Jackie don't like him. What she won't let you keep him in the house. Really? Three you, would, in the you would keep him on the desk, on your desk. Mm. No, you don't really like him that much either. He's cute. He looks like <coughs> kinda looks like Sam Elliott. Kinda only all bent over with his old chaps on and his great big belt buckle. I wonder why Jackie doesn't like him. I'll have to I ask. have no idea. <laughs> I'm gonna leave him out. Oh, see, I got a I got an iron horse. I'm a nightstand, and I don't even remember. Oh, you want to know about that? Well, I want to know about the Iron Horse first. Oh, I don't know. And I don't remember where it came from. Oh, okay. So that's the teeniest, tiniest little oil can I ever well, saw. no, I made that. You made that? Yeah. How'd you make it? Uh, about 1954. <laughs> Not when, but how. Although I like oh, the wind. Oh, well, that... <laughs> That's cute. That's really great, Grant. Well, it used to be clean and shiny, see? Well, sure. Uh, how do I make it? Or why do yeah, I Yeah, well, both. Well, so it's two pieces. 
Yeah, you know, screw sure where you can fill it up, but now it's little paw, I think kind it's of welded probably, in place. Yeah, it's sealed shut. But <laughs> I got uh, I got a C on that in metal shop. Okay, that's so cool. Well, I didn't read the drawing right. It was supposed to be twice that size. And <gasps> I, kidding. yeah, I'm, I read my ruler wrong when I was laying it out. Yeah. And I was reading centimeters instead of inches. Oh no. And I kept thinking, boy, this thing's hard to make. Because it's so tiny. Be because it's so small. It fits in the palm of your hand, easy. Yeah. So. When I turn in my project and I get a C. And you look at what the size of everybody else's project too, right? <laughs> Side eye. <laughs> yeah, but you had to learn how to make this piece. Yeah. And you had to learn how to make this piece. And thread it. Yeah. And how to make this piece and thread it. And how to make this piece. But you'll see that that's one piece, but it's been folded over and soldered. And you solder oh. this on the bottom. Solder this on, solder this to the cap. Those are great solder. seams. If you don't know what you're looking for, you wouldn't know. That's, see, uh, that makes the oil come out. Right. You press the button, the little bubble. So you got to get that metal right to where it'll can. This is what's called canning. Mm. So I made three pieces in metal work. This I got to see on, and then you had to make a scoop like. You go into the hardware store and they got bins of nails and you scoop metal with a metal scoop and scoop yes. up the nails. Yes. Had to make a scoop like that. Okay. You know, and, and one piece. You have to fashion it. Well, you it had to fashion piece. it to where, yeah, it came out in one piece, but you know, a lot of folding and bending and soldering and rolling yeah. and had to make a scoop, had to make an oil can. What was the third one? And then the, and then the third project was of your choice. Okay. I made a to I made a a, ho a hot plate. A hot plate. Which you folded up all the metal and riveted it to where it was in a square, yeah. about half the size of that little box there. Mm -hmm. And then you got the nichrome wire and wound it to where when you plugged it in, the nichrome wire heated up like a toaster. Right. And a hot plate. Hot plate. And did you? How did you cover it? Or you just had like the sheets of metal and then the wire? No, there was underneath. some heavy wire on top that wouldn't melt when it got hot. Oh, cool. And I used it. It was operational for a good long time. I used time. it for about a year, a year and a half that. when I left home. That's the only <laughs> thing I had to cook anything. I, I cooked soup on it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, see, sounds you know, like you took it to see war. war because you got WD-40, yeah. Oh yeah, the household oil, the 3-1. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 3-1 was a big deal. I need a new um, a, spray nozzle for WD-40. And then over. here's this cool little, it looks like a votive candle holder. Well, it's only about I use it four for inches tall. <laughs> and it is, I think it is kind of chocolate. Oh, we got some bugs in it. But it's it says little shot. X and yeah, it's it's um, a shotgun shell casing, or it's yeah. modeled after that. And it's this green glass. That's adorable. You want it, you can have it. This is really cool, Grant. You take it. <laughs> you take it because it'll go in the dump. Oh no. No, you take it. You where did like you it. Where did you get it? Where'd you find it? <laughs> I don't remember the story about that. I really don't. I, I know I didn't buy it, but it came to me somehow. Okay. 
I don't know how I do it. I really don't, but I've had it for probably 40 years. Oh, that's splendid. I used to drink Jack Daniels out of that. And that was the only thing? Well, back before I started drinking scotch. Okay. But you don't really do shots of scotch, right? You can have a little green feller if you want it. That's really sweet. Yes. I like it a lot. I can be a hobbyist, but it has to be practical at the same time. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I hear that. So, if it's not practical, I'm probably not going to do it. Unless it's something I really want to make that I can't buy. And that was my dad's forte. Well, making things that you... Couldn't buy. Couldn't buy. And what... um, Was that a repeat thing, or he just made a couple sturdy things? Well, no, he... It made me a bow and arrow one time, well, which fantastic. was really nice until I mistreated it and broke it. Um, he, he made me a, a catcher's mitt one time. He made you a catcher's mitt? He made me a catcher's mitt. <laughs> no, this is good. We didn't have any money is what it amounted to. Now I know that's what it was, but I wanted to play baseball and you had to have a mitt and I didn't have one. And they needed a catcher, and I asked him to buy me a catcher's mitt. I don't know what they cost in those days, eight, nine dollars, but it was eight, nine dollars we didn't have. Sure. And uh, baseball season was coming up, and this, that, and the other. I learned at a very young age, you only asked for something once, and if the answer was no, you didn't ask the second mm-hmm. time. That's right. You get your ass beat. Anyway, uh, what did he construct it out of? I had this old leather coat that was too small for me because I'd grown. Mm. And it had a sheepskin collar on it, real sheepskin. And he took that sheepskin collar and that old leather coat and made a catcher's mitt. Wild. Yeah. So he used the sheepskin to line the inside of the yeah. and then just built yeah. the And he laced it up and I said, yeah. Oh, it was a hell of a catcher's mitt. Yeah, I had it for a long, long time. Wow. I mean, even after I was grown and left home, I still had it. Uh, that got the job done. And uh, it just, you know, finally rotted. And, oh, sure. Yeah. You know. Well, by that point in time, hopefully you had, if you were really into playing, you could invest in one. Yeah, I wasn't into playing. I didn't like baseball that much. Uh, in fact, I didn't like any of the sports that much. I played a lot of them, but... Uh, I was too slow to play football. I tried, but I was too slow. And uh, I was too heavy to wrestle in the weight class that they put me in. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get my weight down to wrestle in a lighter class. That takes a lot of discipline in terms of Oh, more discipline than I had, and I thought, you know, I could do it. But, you know, when when you're 16 years old and still growing, and then they want you to drop 12 pounds, I cut off one of my arms, you know. I, oh, God, yeah. yeah. That's what it feels like. And so, yeah, tennis never interests me, and swimming didn't interest me as a competitive sport. So I took up boxing uh, because I befriended a German kid, mm-hmm. and he was into boxing. And so, anyway, that's another story, but uh, I boxed for about a year. I was pretty good at that. Uh, not real good though. Pretty good. Okay. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Well, you sound like me. It's kind of like 
sports included. There's, a, there's some hobbyist sort of things that pick up for a minute and re you're really into them. It's very intense and then that doesn't last very long and then you just drop it. Well, how bad do you want to get hit? In sports, yeah. <laughs> and the other <laughs> thing is, all with boxing things. is, boxing, if people think it's, uh, boxing isn't what people think. Boxing is, and the, boxing is beating the other man psychologically before you beat him physically. Mm. And the best case of that was Muhammad Ali. And he did it two times, which was classic. Most people don't understand what he was doing, but the boxing enthusiasts knew what he was doing, but they had this. He was doing it in and out of the ring. Yeah. Yeah. But the most, the, the most, uh, or two of the most, fa he did it a lot, but two of the most famous bouts was with, uh, I think it was George Foreman. I don't remember the bout now, but it was like in Nigeria. The Rumble in the Jungle. Okay? <laughs> yeah. But the promoters hired, they took, I think it was $200 and converted it to Nigerian money mm. and put 10 guys on the street to give money to the little kids. And their job was to run up and down the street and holler, Ale, Bumare! Ale, Bumare! And that's all you heard for three days was Ale, Bumare! What did that mean? It means, you know, Ale is going to knock the shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that got to his opponent. And the other one was Ropadope. He talked about Ropadope. And Ropadope is uh, a boxing style that very, very, very few people can pull off. Uh, Does it involve long shots? Like, no, wide no, no, hooks? no. Ropadope is where you let. I tried it once and he. They tried to teach me that because I could hit hard, but I wasn't real fast. Sure. And I was short arm compared to most kids. And so I was like uh, some of the other fighters at the time, I had to work inside. So I had to, I couldn't hit you from three feet away like Ollie could. I had you to work. And then back off fast yeah. either. No. Yeah. So I had to take more punches than I could throw. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, it's pretty good because you're working inside. But rope-a-dope is a really, it's, a, it's almost a science. I've never seen, I haven't seen a boxer use it since Ali did. Mm -hmm. But basically, you let your opponent get you against the rope and you use the rope as a springboard. And then you come back at him real quick because you're springing mm -hmm. off the rope. Mm -hmm. So you're coming back with a force not only of your muscles, mm -hmm. but of the spring of the rope. So your opponent is in close and he's close because he's got you on the ropes. He's backing off. When he backs off, he starts to come back in. And that's when you bounce against the ropes and come back. So you're at the ropes, not yeah. your opponent. Not your the opponent. opponent's in front of you. Okay. Yeah, that's what's wow, called. Wow, you're at rope the ropes. 
and all he was, all I saw him really use that one time. Uh, but it it's an extremely effective style, and uh, I can't think of his opponent in that match, but that was a thriller in Manila. But anyway, um, well, it really gives you some spring, doesn't it? Really gives you some. Yeah, oomph. but his opponent didn't ca never did catch on that that's what they that's what he was doing. You know, you're getting the shit beat out of him, but he didn't. You know, he didn't understand why this guy got stronger all at once. Well, it wasn't. He was capitalizing off the inertia coming off the ropes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. And when yes. you if you understand how rope a dope works, and if you ever see that match on TV, you see the guy was he was a master at it, but again. Everybody that's watching boxing, and you got a contender coming up. Mm -hmm. Don't let him use rope dope on him. Make him come off the rope on his right. own. Yeah. Back off. So yeah. So that's the reason it didn't work a second time mm -hmm. because people watch the films, you know, and sure, they know realize. what's yeah, they know what's going on. Sure. And I don't know why or how they came up with that, but it was a when I saw that. The replay because I didn't get to go see the match in live TV, but I saw it about a month later when I saw that. I thought they tried to teach me that and I couldn't get it, but he was a master, he really was. Uh -huh. So, you know, they call Ali one of the greatest boxers of all time, and he probably was because he was fast and he was smart uh, and he took training well. He yeah. wasn't, he wasn't. Uh, the butcher that this last guy was, uh, he was, he had a lot of finesse, he really did, yeah. and he was quick, he was fast, and uh, anyway, so, I, I never cared for his politics, nor his big mouth, but, uh, you know, you... Well, how long did you box? About a year, about okay. a year. Uh, and during that time, did you find that you were going to a lot of matches and studying other people boxing? No, <laughs> it was kind of like silversmithing class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had kind of a crummy instructor? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to teach you the fundamentals here. Sure. <laughs> but not many of them. Well, and see, that you got to realize this was the late 50s and early 60s. And in this part of the country, there was uh, there wasn't that many boxing clubs. Mm -hmm. uh, we got like three boxing clubs here in Wichita now. They're all Hispanic, by the way. Mm -hmm. And they got some good people teaching these young Hispanics boxing. But what we had was a deputy sheriff that went on to be our lieutenant governor and uh, sheriff of Cedric County. And he was a short ship with a short ship attitude. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were down at a beer joint one night, and a fight broke out, and we were all underage. Oh, boy. But we'd been drinking out in the parking lot because we sent people in to get a six-pack. Uh-huh, yep. And we didn't go in, and we'd sit on the hood of the car and, and drink beer, all being 16 years old or less, or maybe 17, but... So anyway, a fight broke out, and I called the cops, and of course, <laughs> we're sitting up on the hood of the car, drinking beer, and they showed up to break up the fight, and this little short bastard said something to me that pissed me off, and I mouthed <laughs> off, 
I mean, I thought at him. Oh, boy. He said, get down off that car. And I did, and he threw a punch and hit me right under the chin and knocked me back up on the car. He says, you think you're tough, do you? And I said, well, I thought it was. And boy, he hit me again. And he says, you want to learn how to fight? He says, come down to the boys' club. You well, got your brains back in your head. Well, I didn't go to jail that night. That was a good thing. And, and uh, about two weeks later, I met this kid uh, at this sock hop place that we used to hang out because uh, they had a live band on Friday night, rock and roll, when rock and roll was new. But I noticed him standing, big, big kid like Sean, uh, kind of standing in a corner. And I noticed he wasn't, and he, you know who the groups are, you know. Sure. And I noticed he wasn't part of any group, but he was just kind of standing so I went over and I said, who are you? And he told me, and he was from Germany, and his brother was an intern at one of the hospitals. And he'd come over here because he'd finished high school at age 16, mm -hmm. and he was hoping to go to college in America because in Germany, if you're not far enough up the academic trail, you don't go. It don't make any difference who you know or what your test scores are. If you're not, you know, that's decided for you when you're seventh, eighth grade, you know, that you're not going to college or you are, one of the two, I don't know how that works. Sure. So he was, but he was, he was smart. I mean, he was book smart as well. And he said, I asked him if he knew how to dance because it was rock and roll. He said, no, but he was trying to learn by watching. And I said, well, that ain't going to cut it. And uh, so it went again next week, and he was there, and I got to talking to him. Well, I found out that the only two sports that he liked was rugby, <laughs> which there were no rugby people in Wichita at that time. It still isn't, probably. And boxing. And I said, really? I just got the shit beat out of me down to beer joint, you know, a week ago. <laughs> Teach me to be a beer joint. He said, well, let's, you know, so we went down, um, so we left the rock and roll place, and we went down to the boys club, uh, and had a couple of rings set up, and I was there, and Vern Miller, the deputy sheriff at the time, saw me, he said, get up here and get in the ring. I don't want to. <laughs> You know, he said, get up here, get in the ring, teach you something, you know. And he kept riding my ass, and finally, the other guy, the other kid said, well, I'll do it. So he gets up in the ring. Well, in Germany, they have a totally different style. It's called the Marcus of Queensbury rules. They have a totally different style, totally different stance. Um, they never use the cross position. It's always straight up uh, with... If you're right well, hand, pretty high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your hands are always high. Yeah. And uh, he got in there and <laughs> he did real well. But Vern says we don't fight that style. He said you got to learn to bob and weave. Yeah, bob and weave and crouch and and uh, shed blows. Yeah, they weren't into that. You know, mm -hmm. you know this that and the other. And so he finally got me up in there and he said, well, he said, with a little training, you can learn this. So I went down there, I went down there, I don't know, 
three, four weeks in a row, a couple nights a week, and you know, kind of was making progress and this, that, and the other. So he said, "Well, we got a match. Well, you got a match coming up." Well, what they did, they had um, a military school up at Salina called St. John's, and they had a boxing club. And so, you know, mm. all getting a couple of station wagons, and you go up to Salina, and if they had somebody in your your weight class, well, then you could fight. They'd pair you. Okay. Yeah. But if they didn't, well, then you just sit there on the bench and watch the rest of them. Okay. So sometimes you'd get to fight, and sometimes you wouldn't. And this was pure sport. Nobody's taking bets on these No, guys. no, no, no. All, yeah, yeah amateur, golden gloves. And we didn't even have golden gloves officially sanctioned in Kansas at that time. Mm -hmm. So So nobody's trying to make you into an amateur no, no, fighter no, no. they can back and market no, and all no, that. No, okay. No, it was all just amateur sport. Right. Sponsored but anyway, well then down here at uh, on the state line there was an Indian school. And it was called the Shalako Indian School. And it was all poor Indian kids that was at that Indian school. It was one of the last Indian schools that were still open to where they were trying to whiteify oh Indian kids. In other words, teach them language and culture and the white way and this Whitewash thing. Whitewash the Indian right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was one of the last Indian schools that were still open. And anyway, they had a boxing club. And, uh, and that was kind of late in the in the experience. So you get down there and first thing they give you is the boxing card. And the boxing card has a person's name and weight class and then who who you're boxing against. Mm -hmm. So So you can keep track of your own fights, your own Yeah, yeah. So I looked on the boxing card, hell my name's on there. Ah. Yeah. And ah. so Surprise The guy's name was Garcia Hernandez. Mm -hmm. Sounded like a Mexican to me. You know, I'm looking over that other bench trying to figure out which one of those Indians is Mexican, you know. Mm -hmm. I ain't seeing any, you know, because I'm in the 200, the highest weight class they had in those days was 200 pounds, and I weighed 202, 205. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking for the biggest kid on there because I figured, you know, that's my. Someone who matches. Yeah, that's my match. And so. But I ain't seeing no Mexican that weighs that. Uh. Right? Gabriel Hernandez, or whatever it was, or Garcia Hernandez, whatever it was. And they didn't start at the bottom and go to the top, and they didn't start at the top and go to the bottom. It was just kind of a random Card. deal. So I don't know, four or five matches into it, because you do three three-minute rounds. <laughs> And if you knocked them down, that didn't count any more than a punch. Mm -hmm. If you knocked them out, it didn't count any more than a punch. If it was a TKO, it doesn't count any more than one punch. So you had to use your boxing skills. So the number of punches that you landed was how you built your score. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway. <laughs> And finally they call my name and I get in the ring and this giant black kid, now how he got in the Indian school is beyond me and how he got to be Hernandez is another question I couldn't ask, but he was big. He's like 240, walked like Earthquake Magoon, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> wow. 
I pasted him all I could. That son of a bitch hit me, and I rolled across the ring. <laughs> oh man, you went down. Oh yeah, faster. and I wasn't fast, but I was anyway. <laughs> and I lost the match. And it's about an hour and a half car ride back to Wichita, all the way back to Wichita. The coach is crawling my ass for losing that match. And I said, well, he was bigger than me. No, he says, you were faster and you were stronger. I said, but he was bigger than me. And he said, and this is the lesson, and this is true. Mm. He says, you were beat before you got in the ring. Oh. I said, no, nah, that's not you right. You were beat just looking at him, huh? Yeah, he was mm. up here. Yeah. And he says, you got to learn that it's a psychological game first, a boxing match second. Mm-hmm. And you were beat before you got in the ring. I never forgot that. Never forgot that because I could, I use that in a lot of other things other than sports. Um, yeah, but so I think we had, we had another match done at Ponca City after that. And we had another match up at Salina, one down at Coffeyville, I think. I don't know. I, don't know. I think I had 10 matches all together that season. Mm-hmm. And then it was over, and, and uh, he called when it was time to get in shape and start this again. And I said, you know, <laughs> I'm more into beer and fast cars than girls. <laughs> And ain't one of them hurt me yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, thank you, Grandpa. So I gave up on it. That's right. (laughs) Best wishes to everyone. Happy New Year 2022. We'll see you later. (laughs) Love from Literate Ape. You can listen to the Literate Ape cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast, Jones. If you enjoy listening to Two White Guys Holding Court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. <laughs>